Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt. I identify as a cis white gay man. I'm a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. And just as a disclaimer today, as is the nature of running a podcast within a nonprofit, we are coming to you semi-live, actually not live at all, from a conference room that is adjacent to our break room. So uh, if you hear forest squeaking or microwaves beeping, that's why. Joining us today is Shannon Parker. Shannon, thank you for coming. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns? So hey, everybody. Um, I am Shannon Parker. Um, I am the Director of Community and Strategic Partnerships. I serve on our org's executive leadership team. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you for coming. So um, uh, what kind of partnerships was it that you serve on again? Uh, You oversee as community and strategic partnerships? That's correct. Okay. Uh Uh, What does that uh, mean slash look like? That is a great question. So in order to keep our patients... um, getting the care and the things that they need, um, oftentimes which are external to this organization. It's my role and my department's role to make sure that we have partners and referrals to support in meeting those patients' needs. Also, too, in thinking about working with other organizations that can advance our community goals as well, right? Because one of the things that we know is that good partnerships um, equate to great health outcomes for our patients. So we want to make sure that we're partnering folks in community who are doing the work, who have knowledge of the work, and who can support us in doing that work, all centered around patient and community care. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of a theme that um, keeps coming up as we talk to different uh, members of the organization, this kind of concept of wraparound care, and that when we treat a patient, uh, you know, you can see them for a set of symptoms, but there's a lot of external factors that might uh, impact that health outcome. So um, you play a critical role in kind of... Uh, tending to the needs of a community and kind of realizing how those impact specific patient outcomes. So uh, because of that, we uh, we asked you here to kind of talk about Southside Pride, which is, uh, I hadn't, obviously I'm new to Chicago. So the fact I, when I moved here, didn't even realize that there was Pride Fest and Pride in the Park and then Market Days and Southside Pride. And there's a, um, a smattering of different prides across the city. But I wanted to learn more about Southside Pride because as I've kind of done research and talked to various people on the podcast, Chicago is a really unique city uh, in the way that neighborhoods are uh, set up or, or divided. The different communities that lie around the city, they all have different needs. And Howard Brown is doing its best to meet the needs of those. And it being Pride Month, we're, this episode won't air until technically after uh, Southside Pride is done. We are recording on the 30th, and I believe Southside Pride is the beginning of July. So this will go up next week. But um, Southside Pride is approaching, so I just wanted to get uh, your take on it um, as to why it's necessary, what it is, kind of how it all works. So let's just dive right in. What is Southside Pride? That's a great question. What is Southside Pride? So... I'll start here. Um, I would bring it to the forefront of a lot of our listeners and viewers. I think folks are watching this too. Yeah. That access, having access to pride is a privilege. And what I mean by that is when we think about the landscape of Chicago, we oftentimes um, 
silo pride to a very narrow strip of land in the city, which is AKA Boys Town, now North Halstead. And for years that has been the case, right? Um, we know that a lot of members of our community from various parts of the city and even state travel to that narrow strip so they can have, so they can access pride, so they can be themselves, be their authentic selves. Well, there was a time on the South side, um, particularly I would say, and, and, and if there's some historians out there, please um, correct me and forgive me, but I would say more so in the mid to latter half of the 20th century, where Bronzeville um, in particular on the city South side was a bustling, vibrant um, black LGBTQ um, community, well, had a black thriving LGBTQ community, but that kind of got lost in the annals of our history. And while we're now attempting to regain that, it's been a very slow hike in doing so. So to get back to your question, why is Southside Pride important? What is Southside Pride? One, it's important, again, because we have to realize that LGBTQ folks live all across our city, um, especially Black folks, right? Um, we know that the South Side um, has a, a overwhelming representation of Black folks. And as I stated a minute ago, historically, we've had to access pride by traveling to other parts of the city. But there's power in having that type of access in your own backyard, right? Um, South Side Pride is the acknowledgement that LGBTQ folks exist outside of the North Side. Um, that we have our own unique culture and our own unique expression of pride and our own history wrapping around our identities, our orientations, and pride. So for me, I know I've said a lot, um, long story short, Southside Pride is about highlighting and showcasing the fact that Black LGBTQ folks do exist, um, Black Southside LGBTQ folks do exist, um, and yeah, we we want to access that pride in our own backyards and communities. Yeah, that this is a really kind of uh, multifaceted concept, and there's a lot of like inter intersectionality to it because you have uh, the the racial identity that plays into it, but also geographically. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting to me. I know you said you're not an, a, a historian, but the the fact that the South Side um, hasn't oh it doesn't hasn't always looked like what it looks like now, or it doesn't didn't always have the connotation that it has now. Sure. What do you think? And you know, if if you're not don't feel comfortable commenting on it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. What do you think uh, is to blame for the kind of change that we've seen in that neighborhood? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Well. In terms of thinking about it, from are we talking about from an LGBTQ standpoint or just in general? Um, both, whatever okay. you feel most comfortable okay. talking about. Because, like I said, there's there's different levels. Sure, so. sure. So I would say overall, and this is not speaking of, I, I cannot paint the South Side with a broad brush. Yeah. So I don't want to make a blanket indictment. But where we're talking about neighborhoods like Inglewood, when we talk about neighborhoods like Bronzeville, which is now going up on the social economic level. Um, but Whitlawn, right, um, Washington Park, we're talking about a once thriving majority black community that was divested in. That, that's the main thing. That's yeah. the main thing. 
Another point that I'll um, mention too, and for some folks it may be along the lines of what they consider more theoretical than actual factual, but mm, I kind of believe it is more actual factual. With the um, introduction of, well, integration is not the correct word because the North for the most part always had integration. However, um, with the, with, with, with a lot of black folks moving more so into accessing um, white-owned businesses, we kind of abandoned our own communities, hmm. in a sense. Um, you know, also, too, I will say, you know, upheavals, um, the loss of Dr. King in the 60s, um, so many other things actually hit our communities really hard. Right, redlining, so many different things. But to narrow it down to um, LGBTQ, again, right, I think that sometimes there's a misnomer that Black folks are um, more hostile to LGBTQ identities and other races. I don't know if I necessarily completely believe that. Um, I know, I know, to a lot of people, including individuals in you know, in my black community, we can kind of feel that way. But I, I'm, I'm not sure how true that is, really. Um, I think one, you know, our community is heavily centered around the church, not to say others aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but our community is heavily centered around the church, which we know creates its own layer of stigma. Yep. That's one thing. And I think, too, with our community having to contend and deal with so much politically, um, you know, day-to-day survival, identity and orientation just felt like another thing that we really didn't want to be bothered with, you know? So that's why I say this, that accessing pride is a privilege, you know, because um, to be able to focus on your identity or your orientation and not think about all the other competing needs is in fact a privilege. So I, I would gather to say, I just kind of feel like it just wasn't on the 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 the, the hierarchy of needs. That you picked the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it, it just wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a fantastic point when you couple you know the the development of of civil rights in the country. You know, uh, black people. And this is also theoretical on my part. Uh, had to be concentrated less. Uh, they, you know, said, you know, we have the freedom and maybe a little bit more economic resource to move into different yes. parts of the city. Uh-huh. So with that, you know, upward motion, there's probably less solidarity and less um, of a uniting factor. Yeah. And then when you couple that with, like you said, the hierarchy of needs of like. I, I, you know, I have to worry about my, you know, finances and, and, and a job and, and healthcare before I have time to even think about, yes. you know, my sexual orientation and being proud of it and everything that comes along with that. Yeah, that is, a, that is a privilege when you think about it. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for cleaning that up for me. That, that, and again, right. That's my own conjecture. That's my own theory. I could absolutely be totally like, you know, but it, I mean, it makes sense. I, I, I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. You so. Know? So yeah, I mean, if you if you think about that thought process and then kind of translate it into pride, I mean, everybody, not everybody, because the the North Side neighborhoods have been invested in and and have had that opportunity for uh, you know tremendous upwards economic growth, they have the resources and the time to just celebrate themselves to go. take a whole weekend off and just you know 
march and parades and stuff, which not to diminish that, that's really great. And it's definitely (laughs) something we need, but they, you know, they can take time off. Like, uh, you know, all all my friends were like, oh, the Monday after pride, I'm just going to put in a personal day. A lot of people don't have the resources to put in a personal day and to be out all weekend at pride. So it is a privilege uh, and, and I think that paints a clearer picture of why a Southside Pride is necessary. Mm-hmm. From from what's planned for Southside Pride, how does it look different than what we just celebrated this past weekend for Northside Pride? That's a great question. So I think that the clear difference is that this is centered around race, you know? And I, I think that's a really good thing because a part of our identities is our, is our race, right? Yeah. Um, the specific cultural things that come with that, right? Um, there's your cultural identity, there's your ethnic identity, right? Um, so there's some things that are very unique in our LGBTQ experience. Um, there was a there was a pride event that happened in Jackson Park on the city south side, and that's for the all who don't know. Maybe maybe in the sixties higher 50s thereabout well anyway um there was a well-known lgbtq pastor local pastor there and it was very interesting because there were so many lgbtq black folks at that pride event that identified as christian right that Mm -hmm. still centered their deeply held beliefs while still um having the intersections of their identity and orientations you know so i think that those are some of the more unique things when you kind of compare it to the traditional pride that occurs on the north side is that there's still an embracing of one's whole self um during these pride events that from what I notice, might not be as censured in other events um, throughout the city. I mean, yeah. again, I could be absolutely wrong, but what I've noticed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And this, uh, I marched in the Pride Parade last Sunday, and this was my first Pride. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, I, I lived here last year when they did Pride, but there was no Pride Parade. Pride yeah. Fest didn't happen, so there wasn't real, you know, that, you know, not hallmark moment of a pride parade, but that's what it kind of felt like marching and it, like waving my rainbow flag was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, this is cute and fun. But it also was pretty surface level and easy to digest. Like we're here, we're queer. It's fun. Uh, and and that's all (laughs) all that you kind of need, uh, in, in that Northside, uh, pride parade. And I can see how there's just a lot more layers to it. That's right. On, on, uh, you know, in, in, in other neighborhoods. So, it's your queer identity, but then your racial identity and your religious identity and your geographical location all kind of compiles to make celebrating yourself, um, it requires a lot more thought and um, kind of acknowledgement on behalf of the organizers. Mm -hmm. What's laid out, um, like I said, this will probably air a few days after the Southside Pride wraps up, but what's laid out actual programming event-wise that we don't have on the north side? Hmm. You know, I really couldn't give a solid answer to that as I'm not one of those, the pride organizers. But what I will say again is in thinking about the unique identity of the south side and those individuals who are more than likely poised to be vendors or tabling or doing things like that at this event, 
by virtue of that, there's going to be some very unique things that are not necessarily um, showcased on the north side. Yeah. You know, so I think that what you're going to see are some very unique um, community service programs that will be there. You will see vendors that are very unique to the city south side that our our neighbors and community members have access to. You know, um, you will see that the um, the disparities that are censured might be a little bit different, even though collectively, no matter what side of town that you're on, STI, HIV, um, treatment and prevention are going to always be priorities, right? right? Um, you know, I, I think the things that you'll see being centered on the city's South Side during South Side Pride are going to mirror and reflect um, the same services on the North Side, but however, there will be different individuals representing those same things. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know Howard Brown is um, a sponsor of Southside Pride. Why did we feel uh, it was necessary to sponsor it? Why is Southside Pride important to Howard Brown and um, what we are seeking to accomplish here? That is a, I love that question <laughs> for so many reasons. One, it's important because Howard Brown's reach expands throughout the city, right? Um, our Southside Clinic on 63rd and Inglewood, our Southside Clinic in Hyde Park on 55th Street, our Southside Clinic on 47th Street, right? Um, we have our upcoming Southside Community Center. Um, you know, we have dental clinic, right? We have so many things in the works on the South Side in order to center and serve the community. <clears throat> Number two, they are our patients, right? Um, people, we know that people travel to the North Side from the city South Side in order to access the care that we're known for. They are our work family, you know? Yeah. Um, so many reasons. This is the priority of our board, you know? This is in our strategic plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go, that can be an entire podcast unto itself. And this is where a lot of individuals who have been doing the work long before we came to the South Side are. So it is vitally important that we support um, entities and institutions because South Side Pride is an institution as mm -hmm. well, um, such as South Side Pride. Because, my goodness, Southsiders have a lot to be proud of. Yeah. So we absolutely should be supporting. And I am glad that we did. Our our leadership wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, what, what I will say is that our leadership was very enthusiastic about supporting, um, you know, the city Southside through Pride Endeavors. And I forecast that they will be enthusiastic champions of that for years to come. That's... That's good to hear because, yeah, our organization does kind of face a, a, a balancing act, so to speak, because as a nonprofit, I mean, we are well set up resource-wise, but, you know, it is also up to our executive leadership to decide where to put resources. Um, and, you know, there's so much need across the city. Sometimes that's a hard decision to make. Mm -hmm. uh, so I appreciate the conscious even if it's, you know, just underwriting pride, obviously there's more that can be done, but I I do appreciate the conscious uh, effort to invest in, oh, in community. And it, it echoes kind of what I heard from 
um, Dr. Maya Green, when we we had her on for, I think, our first episode on um, COVID. Mm. And we talked a lot about how responding in different communities looks different um, and how getting a community to trust you is really important mm-hmm. um, in healthcare outcomes. So and, and she said it looks like, you know, showing up to cookouts and being there for things that aren't directly medical related. So this strikes me as kind of one of those things that while we may not be, you know, giving vaccinations at Pride, I don't know if we are or not, but uh, having us be there and and represent and show that we are an ally to this community, even outside of healthcare, uh, is important to kind of facilitate those outcomes. I, I really, really just want to thank you for highlighting that. And I'm so glad that um, you got the opportunity to have that conversation with Dr. Maya Green. One of the things that is priority to this team, strategic and community partnerships, is doing exactly just that, showing up, right? And at times, it, it, it is, it's, a very un, it's a very odd place to be in, right, where you say, okay, today we're going to a cookout. And it's like, okay, is that work? Like, we're going to a cookout. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's work, right? We're going to a block party today. Um, today we're going to go meet this group of, of community members who are doing this work. And, 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 and to conceptualize, to conceptualize and add value to why that's work sometimes feel very, it feels very challenging, right? Because we have a very prescribed idea of what work is. Right. But as Dr. Green said, a part of our work is building trust in these communities. A part of our work is to hear what community members and community leaders are naming that they need and also informing us how they want us to show up, right? And that takes a lot of listening. That takes a lot of being present. Um, it, It truly does. And there are moments where you do feel like, my God, this is such a slow hike. This feels so thankless, but in fact, it really isn't Um, because what I do know is that we have amazing um, Southside leadership like Alderman Stephanie Coleman, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, right? Um, We have um, Alderwoman Pat Dowell, Representative Lamont Robinson, and so many others, our friends at Kennedy King, who are all becoming so enthusiastic about Howard Brown being present. So when those things begin to happen, it shows, oh wow, this work really does actually have its benefit. This work really actually does show impact. It's slow, but but the impact shows itself in the times to come. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And it, I love that aspect of, of listening. I think we compared it initially to that quote from the Field of Dreams where it's like, if you build it, they will come. Yes. Not always true with healthcare. I mean, mm-hmm. we could set up a, you know, $10 million healthcare center on the south side, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily exactly what the community needs. Mm-hmm. That listening on the front end is key to know where and how to meet people's needs. Um, so I love that Howard Brown has such a, um, a, a conscious and dedicated team that really, you know, that's on the forefront of our minds whenever, whatever healthcare situation mm-hmm. we approach. Kind of thinking back again about pride, um, has, 
historically from what I've read here and there, and again, I'm not a historian and I'm also just not very well informed, Mm -hmm. um, uh, black individuals and, and, um, people of color across the board have always been on the forefront of, um, push for the push for rights in America, whether it's, um, you know, uh, racial rights or, you know, civil rights in general, or, uh, the push for queer liberation, Mm -hmm. They've always been the leaders on that forefront, uh, but also historically have not probably felt that welcome in traditional pride celebrations. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that might be and how we remedy that? Yeah, that's a great question. So in thinking about the landscape of Chicago, and when I say landscape, I'm not just talking about geographically, right? I'm talking about the composition of individuals who live here. Um, politically, community-wise, so on and so forth. Chicago is what we consider a hyper-segregated city. And even though there are no formal boundaries that, like what you would have seen in the South, um, there were more invisible boundaries, um, yet very present and very real. We noticed that when you get on the city's public transportation, life expectancy drastically changes depending on what community you go in, right? There's no there's no sign that says, next stop, life expectancy 20 years lower. Right. <laughs> you know, that would be interesting. Uh-huh. Um, huh, perhaps that's an ideal CDPH to do one day. Honestly, to I just thought about that. That'd be really bring interesting. A, how, what, how hard hitting that would be. I'm writing that down. I know, right? <laughs> Not if I can run to our leadership's office first. Right. No, that's your idea. You take that. (laughs) But um, to go back to the topic at hand. So in thinking about that, there should be no wonder why that same thing doesn't overlap into other sections of our identity and experience. You know, I remember not too long ago, this was maybe within, maybe maybe within five years, a little over five years, but there was this North side like coalition, like not in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah, right? We think about some of the hostilities that black LGBTQ folks, namely coming from the South side, have experienced in the open and welcoming Mm. magical rainbow-centered boys town. So none of this should come as a surprise. You know, there's this really interesting space that we live in as Black LGBTQ folks. Because one, being Black, we live with the historical fact of segregation, whether it's implicit or direct, Um, We bear the history of racialized oppression. And oftentimes when we hear some of the laments that happen that that our um, other counterparts in the LGBTQ community have, we go, that's nothing. We've dealt with that just for years, just for being black, right? You know, it's like, oh, you're crying about that? Like, (laughs) hold my beer. Like, sit down and let me tell you about this. You know, yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I think you know to answer your question, I, I know that I went the long way around. I think that that's why. I think that it's just the city itself 
It's the city itself. It's, it's what's deeply ingrained in this. I mean, my goodness, I'm sure there's still places that have a white prom and a black prom, right? So it should be no wonder that this same type of implicit segregation happens even within pride. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of uh, a couple episodes we did, a two-part series with Tracy Bing, who's a, a queer historian, and we talked mm-hmm. specifically about pride. Um, and we didn't delve so much into this issue, which is why we have a separate podcast for it, um, episode for it, excuse me. But, I mean, it's, like you said, it's not that long ago that I know there a certain bar on Halstead, uh, had some emails leaked. I that's trying not to say the name. I'm not going to say the name that's either. Um, <laughs> uh, that they didn't want to play certain music because yes, correct. it attracted a certain crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tracy made the comment like, we cannot uh, be accepted while not being accepting of, of other right. people. So it's, it's a real, like, you got to walk the walk and talk the talk type of thing. And I... Um, also think it's interesting that like she made the point that early on in the fight for queer liberation the people that did the most work and sacrificed the most were people that were already having um, their liberties impeded upon so it was trans individuals it was people of color who were already at a disadvantage in society and could be considered like they had they had less to lose Uh, you know white cis men who were gay weren't gonna be you know holding a sign at a protest because they had a nine to five job and so right. they and they, they could blend in easier um so it does strike me that we owe the most to the black community the trans community the black trans community for what we have now but we we took what we what we got from them and then said you know you're not well we made a movie here. called stonewall which was such a revisionist history um, it was came out a couple of years back, and I was I like, know "What is this?" It was a, yeah. They they came up with a a a very whitewashed um, adaptation of the Stonewall riots, and it was made into a movie. Folks can look it up. It was mm-hmm. like really bad. Um, yeah, but you're absolutely right, Madge. Is that I've often said that black and brown um, LGBTQ members more narrowly, black and brown trans women were the wet notions of this movement, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and when a community that grew strong off of our blood and bones, so to speak, they turn around and kind of spat on us. Yeah. And that is such a hard, you know, thing to carry inside of you is that you're not even welcome in the community that you sheltered and raised and fought for and bled and probably even died for, right? Um, When we think about ACT UP, ACT UP um, gave political stage for LGBTQ members of the community to spring forth marriage equality, you know? Yeah. Um, As tragic as the HIV AIDS, um, you know, deaths were, we learned how to rally. We learned how to um, mobilize politically from that. But again, LGBTQ movements didn't just begin with ACT UP, right? We've been acting up for a long time. <laughs> you know, way before, you know, a group of white men decided it was time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm so thankful for those individuals. I know some folks right now who are living and breathing, who are amazing, who I owe a debt of gratitude to. But I also want them to remember that there were individuals that came before them and walked Locke's arms with them during those movements as well. Yeah, that's... I'm... I, I'm loving this episode because I think it touches on uh, so many things that are so timely. I mean, geographically, the city of Chicago, pride, intersectionality, you know, listening to communities, all of it. I'm uh, actually later today meeting with uh, Renato Riddle, who is the owner of Nobody's, oh, Nobody's Darling. Uh, and we're going to kind of talk about queer uh, business ownership and also creating queer spaces that are inclusive and that's a concept I'm really interested in because my next question is like how do we how do we repair this divide I mean obviously it's a physical divide so part of it is uh, you know a, a geographic hurdle that is not you know a quick there's no quick solution to it in the way the city's laid out but it does strike me that, you know, like we talked about with a certain unnamed bar playing certain music, how do we open the door wider to make sure that everybody does feel welcome in queer spaces, um, that, you know, Boys Town looks different and, and Boys Town, the, the makeup of it, represents the, the wide variety of identities that do exist within the queer sphere. Uh, how, what is, is that possible? Is that a pipe dream to kind of heal these wounds and bridge that gap? Are there certain little steps we can take, uh, you know, that I can take as a cis white man to, to acknowledge the past and to, to work towards a more united future? I don't know. I'm just, this is all kind of theoretical stuff, but I, it's something I like to think about. No, I think it's great. I think that it's, it, I think it, I think it takes a pipe dream in order for, these things to be realized, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I heard something before that said, um, if your dreams aren't crazy, then they're not big enough, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think that's the first thing, right? Is we identify the problem, we know what the problem is. And the problem is, is that um, within subgroups, there's still those isms that remain, right? Classism, racism, you know, ableism, ageism, so on and so forth. There's yeah. so many isms, yeah. especially in our community. I mean, those isms keep my 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 Restylane filler doctor well <laughs> in business. Um, so, <laughs> so um, one keeping in mind that there is nothing sadder than when the oppressed oppress. That's mm -hmm. that's one thing, you know. Um, to recognizing that there's a common threat to all of us as we see right now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Mm. Um, surely we are on the menu as well. Yeah. And we are going to have to set aside a lot of these superfluous things and band together, kind of the way we did with marriage equality, right? Yeah. Um, we're we're going to have to keep that same energy yeah. real soon. Mm -hmm. Also to remembering is that there is a uniqueness um, and a need for each and every one of our voices, experiences, um, and identities at the table. You, you cannot have a LGBTQ community without black and brown and Asian folks and so many other people, right? We all make this amazing tapestry um, of what the community is. 
I am a firm believer in not forsaking our current existence, you know, right? We, we need to tackle the current issues, mm-hmm. but we also need to keep at the forefront envisioning the world that we want to see. Right. And I want to believe that the world that the members of my LGBTQ community, I have to believe that they want to see a world where diversity is prioritized, where it is wholly embraced. Um, I want to see a world where we actively fight for justice and not just things that affect us, you know, or things that we feel personal about. Um, I definitely want to believe that we're a community that remembers what it feels like to hurt and don't want to inflict that hurt onto others, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so th- that's, that's, those are my thoughts, at least. Yeah, that's so well said, uh, beautifully expressed, because, like we said before, this is kind of a, a hard topic to, like, pin down. There's it no, really there's is, no right? real, like, you know, we can't wave a magic wand and fix all this because it's so ingrained in so many different parts of our society. But I think, yeah, you 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 put it beautifully that we can't... The phrase, like, hurt people, hurt people popped into my head, which is kind of uh, a cliche at this point, but it rings a little bit true in that we can't take what other people have done to us and do it to other people. It doesn't... I would, I would also say, too, one of the things that I would challenge LGBTQ folks... And, and, and I'm including myself in this, mm-hmm. right? Because, look, we all age. We all get set in our ways. We all get to a place like, oh, God, why is that changing? Oh, well, why can't it just stay this way? I mean, yeah. we all do it. We all do it. Um, I would say as, as, as comfortable as the status quo may be for some of us, right? Because we've learned how to maneuver in it. You know, we've learned how to find our way in it and what have you. And some of us have even amassed a certain amount of success or access. Remembering that this is a landscape that belongs to a generation that is going to soon take front and center. And if we do not give them the access to make of this community what it needs to be for them then we are doing them a disservice yeah right um because it really is about passing the torch i mean i don't want to be like all bob dylan about it you know but it is true right get out of the road if you can't lend a hand yeah you know your your road is rapidly aging or something like that yeah you have to yeah and and this is probably a whole other podcast topic but uh i mean the HIV epidemic kind of robbed us of, of that concept of patching, passing the torch. So this is the first generation yeah. that is getting to grow old uh, or to grow old in a publicly queer way. Mm-hmm. And so it looks, what does that look like to, you know, pass on that activism and, and teach the generation below you how it works. So like I said, that could be a whole other podcast. I won't go on a tangent. Um, I am so thankful for for this time and and for you giving me your time to kind of dive into this. Um, Like I said, this episode will come out a few days after Chicago Black Pride, so I can't advertise uh, to go there. But if you're listening and are more interested in... 
kind of what we were talking about on Southside Pride, the two organizations that are running it, um, Pride Southside and Windy City Black Pride. Um, I'll put links in the description of the episode in case you want more information or want to donate and get involved. Um, That's, you know, some pride is always in season. So there's always something to do even after the month of June. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for your time. We'll have to have you back to kind of dive into more issues. Thank you for having me. Y'all please come down. Well, that's right. This will be after. So <laughs> I hope to have seen you. Yeah. <laughs> at um at Black Pride, Southside Pride, and yeah, please um, don't be a stranger. Love it. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. And that has been our episode about Southside Pride. Like I said before, if you're interested in any of the things that we discussed, you can go to www.howardbrown.org or visit the links below in the description to learn more. Thanks for.